0: This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. All right, so what we're going to do today is a little bit different from what we have done in the past instead of being interrupted so to speak, by listening to various scholars or pastors talk about the Lord's Supper, we wanted to lay down just a, a a full podcast where we are talking about the truth of the Lord's Supper and his sacraments that he provides for us for the forgiveness of our sins okay good and so uh, for our listeners we
1: are going to be looking at the following passages uh, from the scriptures where, the sacrament of the altar is is related to us. And so this is, uh, and you'll you know, perhaps want to mark these, we will come back, and when we talk about them explicitly, we'll let you know exactly where we're at. But Matthew 26, 26 to 29, Luke 22, 15 to 20, Mark 14, 22 to 25, and then 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Those are what are known as the sedes doctrinae or the seats of doctrine the seats where where the lord explicitly teaches about the thing under consideration. And as Pastor Kearns mentioned, John 6 is not in there because John 6 does not talk about the sacrament of the altar. Uh, Before we get going, though, I think it would be really important to talk a little bit, for lack of a better term, about principles of biblical interpretation. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, right? That's the fancy word that gets used. And so Let's do a little walking through this, and we'll see how it develops. But, you know, the the first question that must be answered, it strikes me, is why in the world do we care about what the Bible says? And for this, we look at 1 John chapter 5, where John says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for he has testified concerning his Son. So God's word written in the scriptures is the testimony about his son. And this gets repeated all over the place in the Bible, right? Uh, John 20:31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life and eternal life in his name. So, so the point is this, that, that we have an interest, any Christian has an interest in what God says in the scriptures because it gives us Christ. Now, look at what John does. He gives God's witness primacy over the word of men. This is the beginning of one scriptural hermeneutical principle that we're going to focus on, right? It's that God's word reigns supreme let, now, and let all men be liars. Right. To such an extent that that you say let all men be liars. And we could go down the list of all these things where Christians believe what every man believes to to be a lie start with the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the resurrection of all the dead on the last day i mean what sane person you know outside of christ is ever going to say oh that's a that's a smart conclusion to arrive at so there are all these things where the word of god simply declares and christians simply believe what it declares and and this is going to be an important thing as we go through the words of institution where Jesus institutes the sacrament of the altar. Another passage that's very important is in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, uh, for correction, for training in all righteousness. Th- this is again that sort of primacy argument uh, that we saw in First John chapter 5, where if we want the final word on a topic having to do with theology that God has spoken on, guess where we go the scriptures themselves so the scriptures again ascend into the top of the heap and we take all things subject all things are made subject to god's word and this is how a lutheran approaches the scriptures uh, unfortunately i think that our our evangelical listeners have an idea that that's not how lutherans do this and I'm not sure exactly where they're getting this from but but we plan to demonstrate this uh, so clearly. The next very uniquely Lutheran principle that uh, that I love is that uh, scripture must interpret me before I can interpret scripture. Luther talks and thinks this way that scripture must locate me for who I am and what I am and tell me who and what God is in relation to me before I have any hope of gaining just the tiniest bit of salutary knowledge out of the scriptures. Uh, and then finally, scriptura sui interpres, that scripture is its own interpreter. This is uh, not an invention of John Calvin. This, it's not an invention of anybody. This is how scripture operates. This was articulated first in the 16th century by the reformer Martin Luther, and he doggedly held fast to this throughout his career, as you can see uh, in, in his many writings. Those are the sort of basic premises that Pastor Kearns and I are going to be working with as we read Scripture. It interprets us, it has the final word, and it is its own interpreter. In other words, um, when I'm looking to to plumb what it means in a certain passage, I don't pack a phrase or a word or a thought with my own thinking. I have to find find it within the scriptures themselves.
0: Isn't that echoed in the confessions when we hear something about scripture is the norm that norms all other norms?
1: Yeah, right. That's a great, that to pick up on confessional language, um, I think, actually, I think this is in the dogmatic tradition that, that, that this emerges, that, that scripture is the norma normans, the norming norm, the standard that sets the standard, and then the confessions, the Lutheran confessions, are the norma normata, the having-been-normed norm, the having-been-standardized standard. Don't they have an atomic clock? Somewhere, yeah. Yeah, right? Isn't it in England (laughs) and Greenwich or something like this, Right, and it's
0: like the 11th hour or...
1: The oh, atom. you're you're thinking. Oh, of the, <laughs> I'm thinking doomsday clock. <laughs> yeah, you're sorry. Thinking, yes, right. I'm yeah. Sorry,
0: no, but the atomic clock, uh, right, right, is
1: the is the standard where they keep atomic time. And if I want to know what time it is, I don't have to go to the wherever this atomic clock is because my computer is hooked in through the internet to the atomic clock, and you know it keeps good time. I can look at what my computer says and, and have, and and have and be sure that it is that time. That it's ten seventeen a.m. And so that's how the, the Lutheran confessions function of, uh, as far as a Lutheran is concerned. So uh, when you hear Lutherans talking about the confessions, don't put up your little white tail and run into the woods. This is Lutherans simply pointing to faithful teaching about scripture but we want to turn to Scripture today. That's- sure,
0: and I, I just did want to say something about how the evangelicals do think of the Lutherans, at least in the tradition that I grew up. And I I couldn't point to you where I've picked this up, but you, you could ask any evangelical I know, and they would say that the Lutheran is liberal, that he doesn't even believe the Bible, probably not even saved.
1: And that's very unfortunate. I think probably... You know, in all fairness, um, and this is a rabbit hole, but I think it's worth talking about. The largest Lutheran church in North America is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA. And look, Pastor Kearns, you and I both know that the ELCA has jumped off the deep end. They do deny the clear teachings of Scripture. And Lutherans of the Missouri Synod stripe, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, of the Wisconsin Synod stripe, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, of the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, the old Norwegian Synod, of the Church of the Lutheran Confession, uh, none of them, frankly, recognize the ELCA as a Lutheran church any longer. And the fundamental reason is because ELCA has punted on the scripture principle, the primacy of scripture. Lutherans, real Lutherans, Missouri Synod Lutherans, etc., hold to the infallible, inerrant, verbally inspired Word of God.
0: So the mistake that I was making, along with any and all of my colleagues and associates and acquaintances, it was to take the liberal wing of the Lutherans and then paint everybody else with the same brush.
1: Correct, and that would be easy to do, right? Up here, Pastor Kearns, uh, we have... uh, what is it, American Baptists or Northern Baptists? Northern, mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, you know, the Southern Baptists make a lot of noise, and we we hear some of those echoes um, of them and recognize some salutary things that are being said there and recognize their seriousness about the primacy of Scripture, which we applaud. But for most Northerners like me, right, who spent most of my life in Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, you hear Baptist and you think, it's ultra liberal right. right big mistake right big mistake right so evangelical listeners if you recognize the southern baptists as as being bible believing church body recognize that the same thing pertains in the in the lutheran church at large in the united states of america that there are there are lutherans and there are lutherans
0: okay and we could cut this out but <laughs> they, they really they say they're bible believers but as we'll see today no, I think I think this, this needs
1: to be said. This absolutely needs to be said. So they hold to the doctrine of the verbal, plenary, inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of Scripture. And then when they get to work on the text, they run in the other direction.
0: That is absolutely correct.
1: And our contention here today is that the Lutherans don't, and we want to show that. Amen. So, you know, uh, I think an interesting, fun anecdote uh, about... How strong a hold this primacy of Scripture has on the Lutheran mind is a little uh, anecdote that, you know, I, I don't know if all Lutherans know it, but many of them do. Martin Luther in the year 1529 uh, got together with the Swiss reformer Huldreich Zwingli, uh, and this was at the behest of Philip von Hessen. The idea that Philip von Hessen was after was to create this military alliance of what they were calling evangelical estates all right and the evangelical estates were those territories in which a certain amount of reform had been adopted that they were no longer roman catholic uh, they were painted as evangelical slash protestants so the year is 1529 and it's a very important uh, and dicey time for zwingli for luther for everybody else because the emperor is attempting to move militarily against the evangelicals, and they need a military alliance. And what it requires from Luther's perspective and from the perspective of Wittenberg is agreement on doctrine. So they come together in Marburg, and Luther well knows already that he and Zwingli have this fundamental disagreement on the sacrament of the altar. Zwingli sang, you know, really exercising the rule of the uh, finitum non capax infiniti, the, the finite cannot possibly hold the infinite. In other words, the five foot six frame of Jesus can't possibly hold the fullness of the divinity, much less can anyone say that a host and a chalice can hold the blood and body of Christ.
0: So that's the principle that they're working with,
1: right? It's it's really Aristotelian, uh, an Aristotelian principle, and you and I know it very well, right? Like if I say pour me a beer, and I hand you an eight ounce glass, and you take one of my high lifes out of the fridge, and it's twelve ounces, and pour the whole beer into the eight ounce glass, what's going to happen? A mess, <laughs> exactly. We'll be lapping up Miller High Life. <laughs> okay, which which you would do, which I which I might be inclined to do, exactly. But you know, here's the thing talk about the primacy of the word. So what is Zwingli's operational principle? His operational principle is that whatever God says, it cannot contradict the dictates of Aristotelian philosophy. Luther, however, is the ultimate biblicist. He looks at the text of scripture and says, this is God's word. Whatever he says here is, I I guess I'm stuck. I got to go with it. Why? Because this is the word that gives me God's own son for my salvation. It is uh, inspired and inerrant, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in all righteousness. And so he gets to the Marburg Colloquy, and he writes on this big table that he and Zwingli and some other reformers are sitting at in chalk, the words in Latin, hoc est corpus meum, this is my body. And he returns again and again and again again. To what is written. It is written. Therefore, it is authoritative and has more authority than Aristotle, than any cogitation that you can have. And so Lutherans have approached all of Scripture through this same exact lens. There is a, a six-day creation? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because God said it. Because God said it. That's what he said. Does it, Does it make sense with evolutionary science? Absolutely not. Does it make sense with Big Bang theory? Absolutely not. But God said it, and we don't care if Stephen Hawking's or Daniel Dennett has a different opinion about it. This is God's holy word, and we stand by it for informing our faith and life. So let's take a look at the
0: the actual words. Uh, oh, do you want to mention anything? Well, I just i I think it's so interesting. We haven't even started talking about baptism yet, and doing we could do. M- many, many podcasts on on baptism in listening to the evangelical way in which uh, that is portrayed. But in the class last night, I was talking about baptism. And when you let Scripture interpret what's happening when that baby or that person, whoever, is being baptized, like you see it with the eyes of faith, rather than just, you know, with our With our physical eyes, we just, you know, see a little baby getting, uh, you know, a little bit of water on it while, while it's screaming and kind of, you know, rustling around a little bit. The eyes of faith tell us so much more of what's happening in that moment. Are those mystical eyes of faith? No, of course not it's what's been revealed to us in the scriptures exactly right, exactly yeah so it's like believing exactly what god said in the scriptures this is what's happening i know it doesn't look like it but that is what's happening there's
1: no mystery here right i mean there's no, there's no you don't have to sort of work yourself up right. to some sort of right. higher level to believe this sort of stuff read what the scriptures say and if this is god's authoritative word this is where you're going to land. Another you cannot help landing f- there. Exactly. And, you know, God, can I just Please. mention something that's so funny? We got on the same topic last night in, oh. in, in youth catechesis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. So I don't know what got us, uh, what water we drank, right,
0: right? Right, Well, you know, I was thinking about Hebrews, how it talks about how when we gather together at this holy Zion, meaning that when we come to church, we are, you know, we are surrounded by this angelic host that is worshiping with us. Again, can we see this? No. But we take what the scripture is saying, and we say, "I can't see it, but it's happening." And that's why in the liturgy we say, "You know, in the proper preface, therefore, with
1: angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify Thy glorious name." Right. Evermore.
0: That's not what you just said right there. That's not just some fluffy piece that we put in the or that was put in the liturgy that we're just quoting. No, that's what the scripture says. Heaven and earth are joining at this moment. Yes, and so there's many examples. My many, point, many yeah, examples of this. That's that, that's that's wonderful. Those
1: are all you know, fantastic examples. And we're going to see this in Scads, actually, in the sacrament of the altar, uh, because to the eye, all we have to the eye and to the tongue, all, all we've got is some styrofoamy tasting uh, wafer, right? And some ch- what do you call it? Cheap date wine? <laughs> Cheap date wine, exactly. <laughs> some Mogan David in a, in a gallon bottle, right? Um, I mean, that's all that the, the sensible uh, human being can, can see here, and yet what God reveals about it is all the more important. And uh, we don't have that Deuteronomy 29 passage, do we? Yeah. But I, I think this was just a wonderful, in my Bible reading this morning, I happened to bump into this. And...
0: Yeah, chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Now I just want to pause right there and say this is where so many begin to sin because they're looking for the secret things that belong only to God. I mean, he's telling you it's almost like you know that that uh, Psalm where he says, uh, "I will still your proud waves," meaning like this is this is where I think it's in Job. Maybe mm-hmm. this is this is as far as you can come, right. as far as. The, the oceans are concerned. Thus far, and no further. Yes. Right. So this is exactly what he's saying right here. The secret things belong to the Lord, meaning you, you stay over there. Good. And instead of trying to look at this naked or majestic God, the scripture says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Actually, dwelling on this for a
1: moment would be really helpful, wouldn't it, right? So all the things that are revealed, and that revelation is in the Scriptures themselves. I mean, there's We've a... got
0: it in. We've got a place. Uh, it, it's written in, on, in black ink or maybe red ink, uh, depending on your, your version of the Bible, on a white piece of paper. It's like it's frozen for us. Forever, And
1: this is what God has done, right? He, 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 he places his emet, his truth, uh, into this inscripturated form as if it were carved on the stone of the tablets of Mount Sinai. So we have it, clear as day. Uh, no one can doubt but that the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Because it is written. We know this. Okay, so we've got this written word of God. Uh, Who is it for? It's for us and our children. Right. Um, So uh, in other words, this is a perpetual inheritance that um, doesn't change over time. If I have the written word of God that Moses had, it's as good for me as it was for Moses. Third thing is that it is for us and our children to have and to do all the things that are written here. This is an interesting thing. This is no mystery. God doesn't say, look, I'm going to send you all sorts of crazy, unclear stuff that you're going to have to weed through and figure out what you ought to do. Do what is written, and you're going to be fine. In fact, this is at the end of the blessing chapter in in Deuteronomy.
0: If you had a God like that, that you had to do just what you said, in that you have to go searching and looking and trying to perceive and understand and you never really knew if you got him or not. That's not a God worth having. No, it, it it's not a God worth having. Having and
1: it's it's the hid, it's Deus absconditus, right? The hidden God. And this hidden God. Uh, look, I mean, the existence of God is written on the heart of every human being. They know He is there, and you can see, uh, you know, where Jesus warns against this vain babbling in prayer. Uh, he's talking about the pagan practice. Uh, because God is so inscrutable that you would name the deity you're trying to, to contact by as many names as you possibly could to try to get the right one, or you know, right. like is he in the mood to right. hear
0: that he's uh, right. you know the God of Dodona today? Mm-hmm. It's like a like a combination lock. Good,
1: or, or kind of <laughs> like dialing in with a ham radio, is uh, <laughs> <it>. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, yeah. just trying to move all the all the knobs that you can move
1: to know his will. But here we have it, as you said, black ink on white paper for the whole world to read.
0: And and just on a side note, do you realize what the evangelicals would say regarding the Lutherans uh, or even the Catholics for that matter uh, when they would say that the Pharisees were doing their vain babblings? That's us when we pray the Lord's Prayer.
1: What a shame. Uh, I haven't ever counted the words in the Lord's Prayer, but it is a short prayer uh, that comprehends all of the gifts that God wants to give us and know.
0: then when Jesus says when you pray say right he doesn't say say something like this yeah he right. doesn't say this is a good outline for
1: you to follow right this is Wortwörtlich again right so again the primacy of Scripture right which is just unbelievable where that where, where Scripture has been pitted against Scripture and and there is some look folks if you don't hear this if you've never understood this hear it now there is some external human concern intervening in that interpretation of scripture that would say that when jesus said when you pray say our father who art in heaven
0: that jesus didn't really mean it Ser- seriously this was such a joy after listening to a lutheran a lutheran pastor for many years on his podcast and realizing man this guy believes scripture you know more closely if you if you can say that than I do.
1: He's more of a slave to God's word. Is, would you say it that way? Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And any evangelical who claims to be a Bible believer, welcome home. <laughs> this is where you want <laughs> <Exactly>. to be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Good. And and you know that this is uh, this is just really f- a wonderful thing that you're tripping onto here. I, I and this conversation has developed in really interesting ways for me. I love this. In Christ, the Christian is freed through the declaration of God's word precisely to become a slave to God's word and to become what the creature of God
0: was made to be. And that's the beautiful part right there. Like, this is what God wants for you, is to become a slave to his word. Because believing his word, I mean, really believing his word, this is the good life that God has called us to live correct not just kind of taking little parts here and there and interpreting
1: away those parts that offend against reason or whatever else it might be correct yeah well let's take a look then and see uh, one element a central element of this good life that the Lord would like us to have shall we and should we begin with uh, Matthew chapter twenty-six, Pastor Kern? Absolutely. We are translating this just on the fly off the Greek text, and so um, this may not match up exactly with your ESV or your NIV. But uh, you'll recognize uh, very quickly that it's that it is the you know as we read a passage that it's it's the same passage as as you have in Matthew. And we're doing this uh, because we really think that the the actual underlying verbiage is. Uh, so critical for understanding what the text says. So maybe we ought to just go ahead and, Pastor Kearns, you want to read verse 26?
0: Yeah, just before I I do, I just want to say, and we've talked about this before on previous episodes, we've talked about how the English Bible was foisted onto Onto the Lutherans, right, Mm -hmm. in the sense that what we have are Protestant translations.
1: Protestant slash evangelical slash uh, Calvinist slash Zwinglian.
0: Uh, non-sacramental translations.
1: Correct. A- a- and this becomes a problem. Uh, and we'll see this, actually. There are going to be some words here where th- where our translation is going to be different from the translation of, of uh, most English Bibles. And we'll talk about why our translation is, is uh, correct.
0: Verse 26 begins, When they had eaten, Jesus took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it. And having given to his disciples, he said, "'Take, eat, this is my body.'" Do you remember that one episode? It was probably our first one where the pastor talked about how, in the Greek, this means represents. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Right, and you fell out of your chair. It makes a Lutheran fall out of
1: their chair. And you know, we can. Do you want to start there with this the bold statement, "This is my body"? Sure. Look, in Greek, you do not have to use the word "is." This there are so many languages that are like this. Russian does not need to use the word "is," uh, any form of the verb "be." simply because it's a superfluous word. If you put a noun followed by another noun, it's understood that there's a predicate there, and there's, you're, you're making an equation. So like if I said, you know, something like, Devin Kern's pastor, I could do that in Russian, and what that would be saying is Devin Kern's is a pastor. You can do the same exact thing in Greek. Now, in Russian or in Greek, in these languages that don't need the copula, the that is the be verb, when it does show up, it carries all the weight. And so what you're saying is, it shows up here. It shows up here, yes. In every one of these accounts, Jesus uses the be verb. And there are many passages in the New Testament where Jesus does not use the be verb because it's, again, superfluous. So as you read that text, you know, uh, if Luther could have done this— <laughs> Uh, I don't know if he did this, when he wrote hoc est corpus meum, he should have underlined the word est. That's where all the weight falls. This is my body. There's an insistence brought out in the use of the word
0: is in this particular context. So what would you call the person who says this means represents? I mean, we've heard many pastors who've traveled over this verse and they have all to a man said it means represents that's a good question
1: and and so we would i think it would be interesting to as it were uh, set up a, an interlocutor here he's not he's not actually in the room but just to to query that perspective you know mr evangelical you say is equals re- represents why 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 would you do that and i think the response would be something like well i mean how how could a piece of bread be his body.
0: So at that point he's going back to Aristotelian type of philosophy even though he probably doesn't even know that he's wandering around in that. Correct. Isn't that isn't
1: that fascinating, right? That would be like me saying this rock is water. It's just this mixture of substances that makes absolutely no sense and so you're you automatically would say, "Oh, you must be using the rock to represent some water that you want to actually talk about here." But here we've got, in the plain words of Jesus, this is my body. Now, let's back up a little bit here uh, and talk about, you know, there's a purported impossibility, right, that Mr. Evangelical has come to the text and said, look, (laughs) you're taking two substances that it's like putting fire and water together. There's just, you can't do it. One, either the fire is going to quench you know, burn up the water or the water's going to quench the fire. There the 'er the two shall meet. There is an underlying Christological issue here with the Protestant. We've talked about this before. And the underlying Christological problem is that they've placed Jesus in in a lockbox in heaven. So this ascension into heaven has Jesus in his five foot six frame narrowly circumscribed sitting at the
0: right hand of the father like he's being punished. Like he's in Tom Out.
1: Or, or maybe on his throne of glory, right? But he's, he's stuck there. Right. He can't go anywhere else. And the problem, of course, is this is a deeply Christological problem. It has to do with the com- with, with this very big important thing known as the communication of attributes, with, the, with how it is that the divinity impacts the person of Christ in, in the single person who is made up of the divine and the human nature.
0: But see, even when we start to go down that road just a little bit, I mean, aren't we starting to stick our toe in the secret things of the Lord? Well, it, it might sound that way. I mean,
1: just because we're using big language, uh, somebody might say, well, you know, this is, this is you know, beyond We're us. doing
0: what they're telling us not to do.
1: But all we can do is, is look at the evidence of Scripture itself. And a, a wonderful place to look for this is... Uh, number one, to look at the at what Jesus does on the um, on the night of the resurrection. John is very clear about this in John chapter twenty. They're up there in the room, door locked. Ton thiron kekles menon, with the doors having been locked, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there in their midst.
0: In their midst means in the middle.
1: He's in. He's in the middle. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now. Was he there, Pastor Currens, let me just ask you, was he there with his body?
0: Yes. How do you know? Well, uh, one, he said, do you have anything to eat? That's one. The other thing is glorified bodies, they defy physics. They can materialize and dematerialize, just like he passed through the grave clothes and he passed through the stone. But I think the biggest thing that you're asking, Thomas, the very next week, eight days later, right, the octave of Easter— eight days later, the Lord appears and says, stick your finger in my side and so and believe and Thomas it does it and and he
1: says, I mean, he's just shocked, right? my God and my Lord he cries out. Um, but he, it's because Thomas f- I mean felt something there it, it's he didn't stick it into the side of a ghost and it wasn't a ghost that showed up in the midst of the disciples. it was, the risen body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is, the, this is what we're going to talk about with the communication of attributes. This is what the Colossians uh, says and Ephesians says, in him dwells the fullness of the divinity in bodily form. The whole divinity, everything that the divinity is and has dwells in the person of Christ. And therefore, the body of Christ joined to the person of Christ due to the human nature is in the person of Christ capable of things that you and I, who have only the human nature, cannot possibly do. Like go through locked doors, go stand in the midst of the disciples, as you said, and then eat a fish. Seriously? I I defy anybody listening to this to lock a door in your kitchen somehow appear in the middle of it, get a fish out of the fridge, and eat it. It ain't going to happen. But a person who has the fullness of the divinity in them in bodily form can do this. Now, this is a key passage, right? So this is not peeping where God doesn't want us to peep. This isn't like breaking Deuteronomy 29.
0: I got you. And, And I even think back to the life of Christ, uh, and this this is probably a, a minor point compared to the one that you just made, But you see over and over again, Jesus is always working even on the Sabbath. Now he's not breaking God's law, but he's breaking the traditions of the elders. and he gets in a lot of trouble for doing this. But he even says at one point, "I did not come to be served, but to serve." Well, my contention is that's exactly what he's still doing. He's still serving. But he's serving his people. He's serving his church in he, the
1: fullness of the uh, of his divinity. Right. right. He got
0: blamed many times for eating with sinners, and I'll be doggone, he's still doing it today.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he wants to, and he wants to, and he has the the capability to. So, you know, I think another thing that would be interesting to talk about very quickly is the session at the right hand. Um, in biblical terminology, well, I'll let you talk about that because you're, you're all over this business of the right hand of God.
0: Well, the typology that I always think about is how Joseph is the one who is in the pit, and then he gets uh, brought up to Pharaoh, he interprets the dreams, Pharaoh puts him in charge, and Joseph is the one who is then sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh, Pharaoh essentially says, "You know what? I'm gonna go play golf, and if you need anything, ask him. Call my cell phone <laughs> yeah, right now, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that right there is just a, a typology. It's the sh- it's a shadow. It's a picture of what Jesus is, and sitting at the right hand of God the Father, meaning that all authority has been given unto me.
1: Correct. So, so it's authority, right? So the session at the right hand is a is a is a seat of authority, and as you have pointed out before, in fact, your email signature says this: Dextera dei ubique est," right? The right, the right hand, hand of, of God, God is, everywhere. is everywhere. And how how can how can you say something like that? So so someone tell me where God is, right? So where's his right hand? Everywhere. Correct, but not salvifically. Correct the way that he is everywhere is hidden from us in the same exact way that Deuteronomy 29 talks about it right but he reveals to us that he is with us in certain ways and wants to be made
0: available to us in certain ways and i would think that anybody with any sense whatsoever would want to say where is this god and where can he be found he's everywhere but i can't see him i can't touch him i don't know what he thinks about me and uh, he's not everywhere offering forgiveness of sins.
1: No, not on the golf court. Not on the golf
0: course. No. No. Okay. Hmm. Or at the beach. Soccer field. No. No. <laughs> no. We, he offers forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation at a place that he is now. Evangelicals have a hard time with this right here, but he's limited himself and placed himself
1: there on purpose. now, this is an interesting thing. So we've just been talking about the person of Christ with his lack of limitations, right? The beautiful thing is that this unlimited person of Christ actually chooses to limit himself for the salvation of his people.
0: He wants to be found. Correct. And he says, this is where you find me.
1: Correct. And this is what he did in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's what he, it's what he's done. Oh, it's, it's what he did with a tabernacle. It's what he did with a temple.
0: <laughs> exactly. And this is where people would say, and I wouldn't even say evangelicals would say this. This is the, the person who says, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they would say, well, uh, I don't believe that God, uh, puts himself in a box. Well, hello. Yes, he did.
1: Well, you know, actually what I think they're saying there that what, what's so interesting, what the way I hear it most often is don't you, you put God in a box. Well, guess what? I haven't put God in a box. He put himself he there. put himself there. Just as he put himself in the grave, just as he put himself on the cross. So here we've got This is My Body. I mean, this has been a long conversation about a simple word, right? So uh, a couple things that, you know, have come from this whole conversation, just to sort of sum it up. Number one, Jesus does use the word "sd" in Greek, and whenever that word is used, it is emphatic, okay? So we got to hear the emphasis in his voice. Number two, the only thing that can drive a reading against the very words of Jesus are a philosophical preconception about what God can and cannot do, that um, there's no way that the infinite God could descend into a piece of bread or something like that.
0: And you were talking about what is going through the head of the evangelical as he's, uh might be preaching on this or what have you, and I think you're giving way too much credit where credit is due. I think they're just parroting that which they've been which they've been told.
1: So perhaps this is causing them to think about it. And, I hope and so. one prays that that's hope the so. case.
0: Yes, yeah. So verse 27 and 28 say, And taking a cup, and having given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the testament which is poured out for the forgiveness of, of sins, we could dwell on this
1: passage till the cows came home, couldn't we? So the action is that Jesus has taken a cup; he's given thanks again, and now which he... is typical for the Paschal meal in which they had observed their entire lives. Good. And, and uh, s- since you've brought that up, you know, look back to verse 26. It says, "When they had eaten, Jesus took bread." So the Paschal meal has been finished. This is very important. This is a new meal that Jesus is instituting. It's not just like a cobbled together, like revision of the Paschal meal, lest anyone draw incorrect inferences from the, the Passover meal, which was not, look, the lamb that was sacrificed was not the body of Christ. There's no claim of that. So this is a new meal. So uh, again, I, I loved how you read it uh, in verse 27, right? This is my blood. Again, the, the copulative, sd shows up there in the Greek text. D- verse 28. Excuse me, verse 28. You are correct. Yes, verse 28. Um, the copulative is shows up there. So again, this is emphatic. This is Luther's underlining the word asked on his table in, in Marburg's because this matters. Now, here is a place where people are going to be floored. This is my blood of the Testament, well, what's the normal translation here that we hear in English Bibles? Covenant. So it's a it's a pulling forward of the covenantal language of the Old Testament, and this this really has to do with um, dispensationalist theology. And uh, so you know you've got what the Adamic covenant and the Noahidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. Correct. Like, you know, look, all of those are the same exact covenant, if you will. Those are God saying, "I'm going to save you." Now. The word here in Greek uh, is diatheke, and a diatheke is Aristotle. I'm sorry to bring in Aristotle here, but um, this is just a common word. Aristotle had a diatheke, and in his diatheke, he willed X, Y, and Z to his wife, his son, and to the, to the Lyceum in Athens. Everybody had a diatheke, so this language here, the, uh, the, the diatheke language, is as much as to say, will and testament. Now, this makes all the sense in the world, does it not? This is the night prior to which the Lord Jesus is going to die. What does he do? He gives his last will and testament. And there, there is something to be said about this. Who dares to change the mm. words of anybody's last will and testament? Aunt Marge gets a million dollars. Uncle Buck gets two million dollars. You dare not ever flip those or give Aunt Marge less than what the Testament says. And what the Lord Jesus has done here in his last will and Testament is to say, this is my body for you. This is my blood for you. So what was the
0: old diatheke?
1: The old diatheke, uh, he doesn't talk about a well, I mean, he, he'll he talk about that in uh, in Luke. Can we talk about that when we get to Luke? Sure. Uh, here, here all he says is that this is my blood of the diatheke. Now, he goes on, talks about uh, the pouring out of his blood. And that pouring out of his blood is the pouring out on the cross. Okay, so this is the very blood of the cross, which is... You know, if you want to be we had started this conversation prior to recording, right? Uh, with talking about uh, some ditty you had heard on the radio uh
0: saying to get to Calvary mm-hmm. right? go to Calvary if you want if you want all that God wants to provide, go to the foot of the cross. go, go to, to fo- Calvary good and yeah. then we've there's another
1: hymn, come to Calvary's Holy Mountain sinners ruined by the fall. Guess what,
0: folks, we can't get there. No, well, this is what I was telling uh, the class last night. When you go to Jerusalem, guess how many places (laughs) are quite possibly Golgotha? You know, one is in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and the other is in this garden area that's privately owned. Uh, The evangelical always thinks that's where Jesus was uh, was crucified because the other there. one's too Catholic. Because the other one, yeah. is it's got you know too many candles and too much soot and uh, yeah, w- way too many Orthodox priests running around. You know, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And you pay money. It's interesting. You pay money for the evangelical right <laughs> right. <laughs> Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's free,
1: <laughs> but but, but it's too
0: old. It, it's not serene. It's not devotionally moving. Right? There's nothing in there to. To make you feel like you're actually at Calvary's Mountain.
1: And this is this is this is the problem, isn't it? It's it's all about feelings. And so what's right. the what's the American left to do with wanting to go to the foot of the cross and having no ability? Where and Pastor
0: Kearns, what are you doing right now? Pointing inside. You go inside. Which again, if we let the scriptures tell us what's on the inside, nobody wants to go looking in there.
1: No one wants to look in there, and, and it means that the cross is available for you only when you can muster it up in your imagination.
0: Which right. will, as we were reading in Luther last night, will either A, lead you to despair, realizing you can't find it there, or B, lead you to pride, thinking that you can. Correct. In, in either case, and, and, and
1: the worst of all, in, in either case, you're going to find the cross where God has not said you can find the cross. But to make it worse, Luther
0: says, the God that you will actually find in there is the devil. Is
1: the devil. And, and isn't this interesting? This turns out to be uh, idolatry. It's fascinating that um, a graven image, right, uh, an idol to be worshipped, does not have to be made of wood or stone. It can be notional. And this is, you know, an important, um, a really important thing for evangelicals to understand that idolatry is not an external thing. Idolatry resides in the heart. And you could have the most stripped-down church full of idolaters, and you can have the most decorated church full of absolutely no idolaters worshiping Christ and Christ alone, where he promises to be.
0: And this is something, actually, I should say, that Calvin uh, you know, wholeheartedly agreed with what you just said. Um, he is... Uh, it, you know, I don't know if he was quoting somebody else, but um, the heart is an idol-making factory.
1: Is is what Calvin said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But ironically, what Calvin did is he took to, he stripped away the images, right? Isn't that he, terribly he, ironic? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and and the idea is, you know, this is a this is an interesting thing. This is a very different theological approach between Lutherans and Protestants. Is that for Lutherans the problem is always and only the heart, you cannot legislate your way out of a wicked heart. You absolutely cannot. Why? Because the law has no power to do so. So Luther, as an example, talks about the the monks, right? Um, and purportedly, you flee to the to the to the convent to flee things like sexual desire, you know, untoward sexual desires, lusts, and other things like that, um, and. You know, if if you could see the list of uh, verbiage that Luther can use of actual monks in his day, Onanists and, um, you know, Poofters and so on and so forth, sexual lust was alive and well in the convent. It's an incubator for it. it. It turned out to have been an incubator for it, right? But the problem was they were trying to legislate the lust out of the lives of people by taking it look the human heart is inveterately inventive and it will find its own idol to 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 fasten upon and you could have an idol on a desert island with your eyes gouged out with your eyes gouged out correct correct so images and material things no these are all gifts of god when used properly and to, to say that, that you must get rid of them uh, in order to be done with idolatry is is sheer folly at the end of the day. So Are, verse
0: 29. So verse
1: 29, go ahead. Oh, wait, we no, we got to get, we got to, so why, you know, I think this is the other thing. So this is the very blood poured out. What's the point of it? It's at the end of verse 28.
0: Which is so shocking to me how the evangelical, I mean, this is not, uh, I mean, this is very clear in English, English Bibles. There's no English Bible that drops this out or glosses <laughs> it, it, over it. It is for a certain purpose, and it is the forgiveness of sins.
1: So let's put this together, shall we? Bread, wine, mm-hmm. of which Jesus himself, the Lord himself, in his last will and testament, predicates his body and blood which we're going to find out later is the body that was broken on the cross, the blood shed on the cross.
0: His body's not the church? No, no, no. We've heard a guy I, say we, this. We, we've heard a
1: guy say this, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is the body broken on the cross, the blood shed on the cross, and he gives it to us for a purpose, namely for the forgiveness of sins. We in the Evangelical Lutheran Church use terminology— like means of grace. What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor towards sinners. How does this expressed here? It's expressed by the grant of the forgiveness of sins. But look at this. All these three things hang together. Bread, wine, body, blood, forgiveness of sins. If you remove one of those things, you no longer have
0: the forgiveness of sins. And you think about all the evangelicals who have removed all of those things. I mean, the only thing they've got is bread. They don't even have wine, which you've pointed out so many times. They've got bread. They've got juice. They don't have the forgiveness of sins. They have removed that altogether. Completely removed that. So what do they have? They have, well, as you've
1: pointed out, kind of a token uh, to prompt remembrance. Uh, again, this is this notional idea of look. I got to get to the cross of Calvary because I'm a sinner, and so I'm going to find it in my heart. Right? It's this thing that helps you invent the what image of Cal? What does it do? I, I mean, know. I don't know. I don't know but how. But see, it works. what
0: image would you have? The image that you would have would be what you saw on Mel Gibson's movie or in some picture book somewhere, which obviously is not the correct one. Correct. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what you're even remembering is kind of cattywampus. Right. And, and yeah. And and so you're
1: left again on sand, aren't you? Oh. Yeah. Shifting sands. Oh. Mm-hmm. Anything else worth saying here, Pastor Kearns, in verses 26 through 28?
0: Well, the, uh, the one thing I just remember, I mean, after I came to this understanding of the real presence, I started making some changes even in the evangelical church that I was in. And I realized I was, um, you know, I was going to be found out. I remember giving one time the host to a, a man. He came up to the table, and I gave it I gave it to him, and I said, this is the body of Christ. And he said, man, I sure do hope so.
1: Isn't that fascinating?
0: Cause, like, he believed. Because he understood. He's so like, like, I need, I really need this. The body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. do, I, I really do hope so. And we wish
1: that all evangelicals felt the same way. And if you do— uh, Or even more. It would be great if, if you could go from, I really do hope so, to, I know that this is because Christ has said it is. And then they are obligated to beat a path to an evangelical Lutheran right. right. See, right. that's
0: the thing. When you come to this understanding, you can't – it's it's like – I think I've used this example before with others. It's like when you see the arrow in the FedEx logo. Now you know, you know, I take that back. Let me dial that back a little bit. I can see that there's an arrow in the FedEx logo. I can't, That's not going to change I've anything. I've never seen that yet. <laughs> You've never seen that? No, I can't see it. <laughs> you know that doesn't like make you have to then use fedex from there and then on out or never use fedex again Mm. right there's no decision it's just that you see it other people don't right right would you see this this is a game changer Mm. You, you can't keep moving in the same direction once you have been shown this this demands a change in course. It does, right? And this goes back to
1: Second Timothy three sixteen, right? All scripture is profitable is 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 breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in all righteousness. Mm -hmm. Go to your pastor, talk to him, if he's not gonna change, then you are duty bound as a as a sheep of the flock of Christ to find a right teaching. Congregation.
0: It reminds me of the illustration that has been told in so many Baptist and evangelical churches about the boat, the big, uh, the big cruiser, the the navy liner, or what have you, that is headed towards a certain direction and it sees a light and it starts, you know, communicating with the light, saying. You got to move. You got to move. No, I'm not going to move. You need to change your heading, change right, your heading, right. you know, and then he comes back and he says, I'm the lighthouse. This is
1: a lighthouse, <laughs> mate. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: right. Move, <laughs> right. right? You got to change the course right now. That's what this is. Mm-hmm.
1: It's false teaching and it's soul. It's actually soul destroying um, because if you know this and yet persist in acting against conscience right and when we say conscience we're not talking about whatever the heck you think what we're talking about is conscience informed by God's word when you act against conscience you cauterize your conscience and ultimately that will lead to your
0: perdition we were talking earlier about how church fathers have this like addiction to allegorize everything And some of the things that they allegorize are quite beautiful. Others of them, you read them and go, man, that is a big time stretch right there. We're not allegorizing anything.
1: There is no allegory. In fact, thank you very much. The Baptist or evangelical interpretation of this is allegorizing. Correct. It is saying, no, this means something different from what Jesus is saying. That's a wonderful point. Well, uh, there we are. We're done with the words of institution there, but I think we should go on to verse 29 because I think there's some really interesting stuff here. I say to you,
0: I will not drink from this time forth from this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you anew in the kingdom of my Father. Now, Every evangelical and its brother. It's amazing how they go allegory here for these couple of verses. Then when they get to twenty nine, they push this off into the future of the new heavens and the new mm-hmm. earth. Good. Okay. Uh so let's shall we begin with that? The, the so kingdom? they say it's gonna happen, mm-hmm. but it's not gonna happen in our lifetime.
1: Right, because we gotta get to heaven. They're thinking revelation, all that sort of stuff. That's right. right? Okay. And good. and
0: they're thinking Jesus is thinking new heavens and new Correct. earth. Correct. So so
1: here we go. It to this difference between immanence and transcendence. Um, and, you know, can I just make an interesting comment about this? Protestant theology is very transcendental. Uh, it's everything's happening in heaven, uh, and nothing's happening on this earth. Decrees are made in heaven, and, you know, you're just the object of that decree. God says you're going to heaven, you're not going to heaven, and, and you have no way of knowing you could be think you're a faithful Christian your whole life long and wake up on the last day and God says surprise to you you know you're not getting in right this is like strict Calvinism it's all this transcendent goings on this is this hidden stuff of God that people are trying to peep into and it's had a huge influence on subsequent Protestant theology Uh, not Lutheran theology subsequent Protestant theology they still try to erect a kingdom of God on earth you think about the ways in which evangelicals have an imminent kingdom idea, and they are going to achieve this through the right mix of politicians uh, in, the, in the governing bodies of the United States of America. It's this very unspiritual, uh, left-hand kingdom, kingdom of God. Look, God rules there as well. There is no question about it, and He even achieves His good His good uh, will through wicked men like Stalin and Hitler. But but here's my point: Jesus actually is talking about both an immanent, and a transcendent kingdom here. Okay, there's no gap. And you talked about this earlier, right? I mean, talk about, let's go back to therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Talk about that.
0: The transcendent is high, lifted up. It is beyond us. The imminent is God with us. It's right here. It's right now. And so what you're referring to, at least in the, the liturgy or in the divine service, where those two connect, where the the Kronos time becomes Kairos time, and we are we're surrounded by great cloud of witnesses at this point,
1: right? Yeah, and you had referenced uh, the 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 letter to the Hebrews, right? Uh, can you give us the chapter?
0: Do you that's do you have that twelve, on, isn't chapter it? Chapter twelve, chapter twelve, verse one says: Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run it endurance, with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Then when I was thinking about, get a little bit further down, it says in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. Is that your testament word there?
1: Of a New Testament, correct.
0: And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what you're suggesting, not suggesting,
1: what you're saying is that this is completely unintelligible apart from early christian practice of gathering around the sacrament of the altar
0: verse 28 says therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to god acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire the idea there is this is in the worship service. This is not some, as you're saying, transcendent place way off yonder.
1: This is imminent kingdom of God. This right. Is good. And so so let's connect this to the, to and, the words, the verba. And
0: we see this with eyes of faith. Right. Why? Because it's revealed
1: to us in the scriptures. That's what we see with. We understand ourselves and the world through what the scriptures tell us, not through what philosophically or whatever else
0: we might we have a hard enough time counting the people who were actually here much less having to count all of the innumerable host that is with us right <laughs> right exactly <laughs> that's right <laughs> and that's why
1: they're innumerable right <laughs> when jesus talks about the kingdom we we've got to understand that the the eschatological horizon just collapses it just completely falls out of the sky if you will and heaven meets earth. Uh, so there is no interruption between the transcendent kingdom, what, what we think of as the transcendent kingdom, and the imminent kingdom. And you can see this, right? Jesus says, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That is the ultimate collapse of the eschatological horizon. When do you have eternal life? Right now. Right now. When will you have eternal life? Forever. You mean my eternal life right now is my forever life? Absolutely. How do I know this? I'm going to die. Guess what? The Word of God has said it, has spoken it. The eschatological horizon has just completely fallen to pieces. And that's exactly what Jesus, this kingdom talk, is a collapse. Uh, Look, uh, there is no division in Jesus' mind about this between transcendent and imminent kingdom. This is all of a piece. You just said this from Hebrews chapter 12. And, you know, there are so many places in the scriptures, right, where Jesus comes along and he says, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Then he sends out the, the 72. And what do they say? The kingdom of God has drawn near.
0: And before that, John the Baptist was preaching the same
1: message. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Now, what in the world? Does that mean that the kingdom of God's just around the corner? That never means that. It means the kingdom of God is right is right here. Engiken means it has come near and it's here. John's the kingdom of God? No, his message is. The disciples are the kingdom of God? No, their messages. And their message is packed full of Christ. Uh, Luke, what, 10 or 11, whoever hears you hears me. Uh, the message about Christ conveys Christ. The message about uh, the, the sacrament of the altar that is his body and blood conveys Christ. Wherever Christ is, there is his kingdom. Wherever Christ promises to be salvifically, there is his kingdom. And that's what he's saying.
0: So when he says, I will not drink from this time forth, from this fruit of the vine, until that day, we, which, well, you think that was grape juice, by the way? <laughs> no, the I, fruit of the we're going to go back.
1: to. Yeah, let's go back
0: to that. <laughs> until that day, When I drink it with you anew in the kingdom of my Father. This blew me away when you start thinking about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, all evangelicals know this story. Here he is, doing exactly that's a lot sooner than most evangelicals think. They think it's, again, way, way off in the future. Here is just a couple days later.
1: Correct. That is his kingdom. And, and and look at this connects so nicely with what uh, this is the Basilea patrosmo, That's the word Basilea. What does Pilate write on the cross of Jesus?
0: Mm, he writes Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews.
1: Basileus.
0: You die on, right And this uh, is uh, for those who are not m- maybe familiar with crucifixes this you, you will see this uh, displayed in the Latin letters inrI this is the this is the little abbreviation that is usually uh, on a, a placard so to speak uh, above the head of the crucified Lord.
1: Jesus Rex diorum yes yeah. yeah
0: and they didn't like that right the Jews it says no say he said he was. The king of the Jews. And I have written what I have written. Correct. That's, that's the response of, of Pilate, Pilate,
1: right? Yeah, the Lord, u- see here, here's the Lord using, uh, here's the Lord ruling in the left-hand kingdom. Right? Oh, of a wicked man. Of a wicked man, to boot. So the kingdom of God, you know, is established in the person of Christ. He is the king. He rules from his cross with the forgiveness of sins. It's a kingdom set up in blood and body for those whom He calls for the forgiveness of all of their sins. And
0: this is what I love so much when we have festal, uh, festival Sundays, and we you know the, the, there's a crucifer who's carrying Jesus on his throne. Here he is, here is. Here's the king seated on his throne, and we walk down the aisle, and the people do what? They bow, They bow. they bow. They're, what? Are, they're, what are they, they're
1: idolaters. N-
0: no. <laughs> no, of course not. They're acknowledging this is the king and this is how he comes to us.
1: Correct. And they're not saying, by the way, that the corpus on the cross on the stick is the king. They are saying this. They, they get they get representationalism. <laughs> they understand that this represents him, that it is actually a visual preaching of the cross. And they are doing as uh, St. Paul prophesies, right, uh, that at the name of Jesus every knee of those on heaven and uh, excuse me of those on the earth and those under the earth and those in heaven shall bow and declare that Jesus is lord to the glory of God the father that's exactly what is happening
0: and this is why paul also said this is why we preach christ and him crucified
1: crucified and he says that a number of times okay. doesn't he not right. not
0: christ and him risen
1: no or tr- christ and him transcended and ascended into heaven right so the so this is the interesting thing this is the this is this eschatological kingdom collapse that where is christ he is in heaven where is heaven it's wherever christ is where is christ he has said he wants to be on your altar where is heaven it's at my altar which is why at
0: our church whenever we walk in front of the altar we reverence it as the place where heaven falls to earth correct You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.